if you guys have been with us for this last series, we've been going through Philippians. Kellen actually did Philippians 1. And then last, last time we met, Pastor Jason did Philippians 2. I'm gonna move more center, sorry guys. Um, and this is crazy because that was Jason's last time preaching as our young adults pastor. He's moving on to some other things. He's gonna be a dad in a couple of months. This is super cool. So I've come to the conclusion that because we don't have a young adults pastor tonight, I can say whatever the heck I want. Um, but in all seriousness, we had a conversation about what this next season of young adults looks like, and so we actually decided to put three and four together. And so uh, a couple of people in here, actually, we were having a conversation a couple weeks ago when I thought I was just doing Philippians 3, and I really felt God put on my heart that I should share my story in that. And I kept arguing with God. I was like, God, my story really doesn't fit Philippians 3, um, and so then when I got asked to do Philippians 4 as well, he was kind of like, well, you don't have an argument, sorry. Um, <clears throat> so originally I was preaching just on Philippians 3, and through all this, it came into that I was going to be doing 3 and 4. So instead of me traditionally just going through the verses and sharing what kind of God's been teaching me on that, I'm going to share a little bit about what I went through and experienced that is going to tie in with three and four. So it all started actually seven years ago. I had a couple of friends over, and we were just, I think we were just hanging out at the pool, just swimming, doing our thing, and one of my friends said she was like, yeah, I'm going on a cruise the entire summer. Yeah, that's how I was like. I was like, are you kidding me? The entire summer? What do you, how'd you get that? Well, she was talking about how her dad worked as the hotel director for a ship uh, with the Royal Caribbean. And I was like, you're going to go around all summer on this cruise for free. So, of course, I did what anyone should do. I said, cool, pack me in your suitcase. Well, a couple days later, she called me and said, hey, my dad got you and your friend Dalen a room on this cruise for one leg of the cruise. And I was like, free? She goes, yes. So I got to go on this span of 10 days on a cruise that started in Denmark, went up to Norway, then to Iceland, Nova Scotia, Boston, and then I would fly home. And if you guys know me, a lot of you in here would probably have heard me say that one of my favorite movies of all time is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. So when I heard that I had an option to go to Iceland, I don't think you guys understand how excited I was. So, it got pretty cool because all I had to do was get the airfare to start in Denmark. I just had to get to Denmark. That's it. And so I'm talking to my dad about this trip. And my dad grew up around my age. He spent three years in Denmark. So he looks at me and he says, hey, I'll pay for your airfare if you let me go with you to Denmark. And I was like, free trip. <laughs> this is so cool. And that was awesome because at that time, me and my dad weren't very close. There was a lot of pain from some stuff in my life that he had done. And so this was kind of the start of, I would say maybe the start of some reconciliation. So we got on this cruise and we got to do whatever we wanted. Like it was ridiculous. We got to go into this room called the Pinnacle Lounge, which I think the rules were like, to get access to that room, you had to have gone on 20 cruises in the last five years with Royal Caribbean. 
And so we were just in there with all these really rich old people. And we would get free food, free drinks. I mean, like, we had everything, all access. And so we started, I remember we started making up stories on how we were rich enough to be in there at 22. Um, And it just got so much fun. We met some really cool people that saw right through our stories, and it was just a good time. But we ended up getting to Iceland. And so I have a couple of pictures of, like, where I was. And so this first photo is going to be, this was, like, literally a spot where they filmed Game of Thrones. I mean, this is super cool. And then the next photo, I just turned left, and that was next to me. Uh, And then there was this cool waterfall here. This is all just in the same kind of area. But there was a moment on this trip where I went to this, uh, this big waterfall called Godfoss. And I remember I was sitting there experiencing this kind of moment where I just, it was such a beautiful view that I just couldn't believe it. We can show the next one, but... This was this place right here. This was such a cool place. In Iceland's like history, this is the place where they actually publicly displayed throwing the pagan idols into this waterfall to announce that Christianity was the national religion of Iceland. It has such a cool story. I'm like not doing it justice. It's a really cool story. Um, and I remember I was listening to the song Human by Of Monsters and Men. I know that sounds really weird, but Icelandic band in Iceland, I was all about it. And I just had this moment that was just so surreal. I mean, just such an amazing view. And I was sitting in this song and I was just thinking about God. So this seems like an odd story to tell talking about Philippians. But I tell it because this may have been one of the best 24 hours of my life. Not a day later, I had the worst 24 hours of my life. So we get back on the ship and we start crossing the Atlantic. We go right across where the Titanic uh, actually sank, and so choppy water, cold, it's pretty gloomy out the whole time, and I remember getting a phone call. Honestly, I don't even remember how we ended up talking, like I didn't have cell phone service, they called me on the phone in the boat, I don't know how they got a hold of me, but I pick up, and actually my mom's best friend is on the other line, and she tells me that my mom is on her deathbed. And I'm sitting there, not sure how to react to this. And I, I, she was telling me the whole time, look, the doctors are saying there's a couple of months left. Finish your trip. But I remember hearing in the background, I heard my sister's voice saying, I want my brother home. So I made the decision the next time we got onto land, I would fly home and I would end the trip there. Here's the thing. It's not easy to get off a cruise ship in the middle of the Atlantic. It just isn't. So I remember there were three days where I just sat in this cabin on the ship, not eating, not really drinking. My buddy did a really good job of like force feeding me bread, but I wasn't really doing much favors for him. And I just remember I was crying the entire time, thinking to myself, am I not going to make it in time? Am I not going to make it in time? And so I eventually get into Nova Scotia, head straight to the airport with this couple we met on the cruise that they actually had to go home to because there were hurricanes in Florida at the time. So we get to LAX, I hop in the car, and head right over to Pomona Valley Hospital. 
And so my mom's best friend is leading the way into the room. And I hear her say, guess who's here? And I can hear my mom say, my son. So I start talking to her. We chat for a little while. I think it was maybe five to seven minutes. It wasn't very long. And then she kind of falls asleep because she had a lot of drugs in her system at this time. And I turn around and I see the whole room is just like jaw dropped. And I'm like, what? And they go, she hasn't been that coherent in two days. So the doctors tell us we have a couple of months left. We didn't have weeks. We barely had days left and she passed away. And the thing was crazy because the timing of all of it was so obviously orchestrated by something, right? It wasn't just by chance. Doctors told us months, we only had days. The right people were in the room when she passed and me and my sister weren't. And I think at that time that would have been bad for us. So in that moment is where I knew God was real. He crafted all of it. All of it was in his hands. And in that moment, I knew I wanted nothing to do with him because he took away my mom. The doctors told us months, why did he take those months away from me? And so I faked it. And that's really weird because a lot of you guys know I work here. Like, I worked at a church and told myself, I'll put on a good face for this, but I don't want anything to do with this God. And maybe you're a lot like me and you want to hide those emotions because if enough people ask how you're doing and you say, I'm fine long enough, they stop asking. And I remember it was a Saturday morning. We had my mom's memorial here in this worship center over here. And to be honest, it was a, like looking back, it was a fantastic memorial. Super cool things happened. We had an open mic sharing portion. It was so cool. It wasn't cool for me in the moment, obviously. And I remember coming into work the next day, Sunday morning, I was working the lighting console here, and it was during our 8.30 service. I got a text from my dad, and he said, call me when you get a chance. And for some reason, I just knew. I was like, great, here comes more bad news. So I called him immediately, and he goes, I don't know how to tell you this, but your grandpa just passed away. So this is less than 24 hours after my mom's memorial. I saw him at the memorial, and he was struggling with ALS at the time. And this was my dad's dad, so not even related to my mom. And he passed away the next day. I was done. I was so done with God. Are you kidding me? So I go that week to a ministry that was kind of guided for young adults, but wasn't really a young adults ministry. Um, it was called Flood. It's now uh, actually, it used to be our Claremont campus. It's now actually Ignite City Church, if you guys have ever heard of it. Um, and I went there because I knew I needed to see some of my friends. I did not go there because it was church. And so the first song of worship comes on, and it's this song called King of My Heart. And if you guys know that one, the chorus of that song is just basically repeating, You are good. There was no way I was singing that that night, not even slightly. How could I say such a thing about a God I hated? So I decided to wait for the second song, thought to myself, okay, cool, whatever, makes sense. The second song was a song that if you grew up in the church, you probably have heard this song. 
It's called It Is Well. Yeah, it wasn't much better. Lyrically, that song is all about saying it's well with my soul no matter what situation. And I was ready to walk out the door. I told myself, I already had one father I resented, I didn't want another. In that moment, I felt this tugging in my heart. And I don't know how to explain it, but it was this repeated word. It was gentle and persistent at the same time. And I started to put together that I was actually hearing God's voice. At first, I thought I was just going crazy. I thought the grief took over and I was now a raging lunatic. Words were just popping up in my head. But I got this, this repeated word and it was God's voice. And no, it didn't sound like Morgan Freeman for those who are wondering. <laughs> but the word was perspective. And you see guys, the next part hit me like a train and it hits hard still. God didn't take away my mom. He brought home his daughter. You see, from the start, she was never mine. We're so good in the church at being able to say we should be good stewards of money, good stewards of our talents, good stewards of ministry, but we forget that we're just as much stewards of our friends and family. So isn't it funny that we spend our lives as Christians with this end goal to spend eternity with Jesus, and then the second someone in our life finishes the race, we curse God for it. And I don't tell you this story because I want you guys to see my grief as something special. I'm no different than anyone else in this room. Some of you guys in this room are definitely thinking about how, man, that's tough, but I've been through this. And I don't want to discredit that you've probably been through more than me. And then there's others in this room that are thinking, how in the world could someone grieve like that? I've never experienced that. Don't let that change the fact that your grief is still grief. Every one of us here has experienced loss. And I believe that everyone in here remembers COVID. We all lost stuff in COVID. Maybe you lost a year of school. Maybe you actually lost a loved one. Maybe you, have, you lost a lot of fitting in with your friends because you decided you were no longer gonna cuss in front of them. Yeah, we can feel grief and loss over good decisions as well. Maybe you're feeling lost because you and your boyfriend or girlfriend decided that you're no longer gonna have sex before marriage. Maybe you're feeling lost because you gave up drugs. Maybe you feel like you have a loss of experience because you had health issues. Or maybe a loss of innocence because of abuse. You see, we all experience grief, every single one of us. And grief often asks us to lead, often leads us into ask one of these three questions that I'm gonna go over tonight. These three questions, each are kind of a sermon in themselves, but God really put it on my heart that I needed to share my story and then talk about these three questions that are very common, I think. The first question I want to go through tonight is, how do I be a good friend to someone who is going through a really painful season? This question's been really heavy on my heart lately, guys. This season's weird because, honestly, it's been really good for me, and I feel like I'm on the other side of my grief a lot more than I was even last year. But I look around at the people in my life, and some of the people I am closest to are going through things I could never imagine. And I wanna share about one friend in particular. 
And I got his permission to share this story. And I met him in like elementary school. So it was, it was pretty early on elementary school and sometime around middle school this experience happened where I was with a group of friends, he was there, and I don't, I don't remember the exact conversation but I brought up Jesus in some way. And he didn't, he didn't cuss me out but he kind of cussed out the idea of Jesus, right? And I'm just like the little scrawny middle schooler going, oh no, what do I do? Um, but fast forward to just a few months ago. We are really close friends. Uh, he, he's uh, definitely not cursing me out for Jesus as much anymore, but he's definitely not a Christian. And I remember we had just started filming the online service here at the church. For we're going through a whole year of the Bible. And this was, weirdly enough, this was when we were recording the book of Job. And I think five minutes into the recording, guys, I got this group message from all my friends from high school. And he sent a text saying that his mom had suddenly passed away. And this was crazy because this, this mom was actually, most of that group had her for their fourth grade teacher. Guys, this wrecked me. It brought back so many emotions of my own story. Well, over time, this actually eventually led into me going to his house and dropping off a book that is on grief. Um, it's actually pretty cool. Shout out to Pastor Eric Holmstrom because seven years ago, he handed me the same book. So I went to drop it off at his house and I knew he wasn't gonna be home. That's what we had talked about. I was just gonna leave it on his doorstep, but I was running late. And he just so happened to be running early. So we actually showed up at his house at the same time. And we just started talking. We ended up spending five hours together that day, just talking. And I told him I wanted to show him a verse from the Bible explaining the friend I wanted to be for him in this time. And I made it clear that I wasn't using his struggle to try and sneak into throwing the gospel down his throat. That's not what was happening. But I just shared a verse with him from Job. Job chapter two, verse 13 says this, then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You see, the story of Job, he has these three friends that are actually kind of notorious for not doing a great job at not blaming him for the situation going on. But I do find it interesting that the first three verses of these three friends have amazing advice for this question. You see, verse 11 says, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shehite, and Zophar the Namathite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. You see, the first thing they did right was they showed up. The way that they were a good friend to someone going through a rough season was they showed up. Verse 12 says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. That's a lot of grief. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Second thing they did right, they grieved along, alongside Job. They weren't trying to be a rock. They weren't trying to be tough for him. They just sat in it with him. Verse 13 says this, then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They were present even in silence. 
So if you wanna be a good friend to someone going through suffering, just try these three things. And no, I'm not saying carve out seven days to go sit on the ground with your friends, but maybe carve out more than an hour. And show up, be present, and be silent if that's, what needs, if that's what's needed. The second question that God has put on my heart is one that I think we often don't believe we will ever ask. I know I didn't until I did. And that second question is, where was God when I needed him most? You see, when we're going through a storm in our life, it's really easy to question, why isn't God here? And a story that's very common to hear about in the Bible is that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I love this story because this story actually has one of my mom's favorite verses of all time in it, and it'll probably be on my next tattoo. And we'll get to those verses soon, but the context of this story is in Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a huge golden statue, okay, giant statue, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to call him Neb. So Neb decrees that every time people hear this music played, they need to bow down to this statue. Any of these instruments they hear, they would bow down to the statue, and no big deal if they didn't, they would just get thrown into a furnace and die. So these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say, nah, that couldn't be me, man. I'm not bowing down to that. And so these astrologers come up to King Neb, and they say, hey, uh, Mr. King, sir, we got three Jewish guys that are not going to bow down. Sorry. So Neb's not happy about this, and he, he basically says, why didn't you take care of it? And they're kind of like, well, you know, I don't know. They didn't, they didn't really do anything. So. so Neb goes full Thanos, and he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. And he asked the three, why didn't you bow down? Basically, their response is, well, because our God is real and your idol is fake. So Neb's like, all right, if your God's so real, which God is it that's saving you from my hand? Because I'm about to throw you into a furnace. And this is their response. Daniel 3, 16 through 17 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Neb does not like that. He says, okay, cool. I'm going to turn the furnace seven times hotter. And then he has them thrown into it, and it is so hot that the people throwing these guys into the furnace die. So Neb's pretty proud of himself. He's like, all right, cool. We took care of that little problem. And he looks into the flames to see his handiwork, and he goes, um... Guys, didn't, didn't we throw three people in there? And they're like, yeah, three. And he goes, why is there four? So he looks in there, and there are four unbound men walking around in the furnace. And so Neb ends up pulling these three out of the furnace and basically starts praising their God, our God. So why go through the fire? Why didn't God just kill Neb on the spot or break the furnace? Because seeing them go through the fire reveals to us that God was right there next to us the whole time. If we don't go through the fire, where does God get to reveal to us that he is more powerful than anything this world throws at us? Because if all God did was save us from things like the McFlurry machines breaking, we really wouldn't be able to see his power. <laughs> but the second he saves three guys from a burning furnace, we start to pay attention. We start to see the power that God has. I think of it this way. If he saved them before they went into the furnace, would that story even be in the Bible? 
It'd be way too easy to just be like, okay, cool, furnace broke. That doesn't mean God's real. If it would not be a strong demonstration of God's strength, God's love, and God's sovereignty if we didn't see them go through the fire. God's character is also revealed in the fire of our lives. He is a God who loves us and will sit with us in the fire. You see, when we're going through the grime of our lives and a friend comes up and sits alongside us and goes through that with us, like we just talked about with Job, we usually sit there and say, thanks, man, I really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. When God does the same thing, we go, God, why'd you put me in this fire? So Daniel 3.25 says this. Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of looks like a son of the gods. And finally, the fire reveals to us God's purpose. When our heart breaks in the pain, there's an opportunity to find what God wants us to do about it. You see, three men went through the fire. They felt the heat. They felt the pressure. And they didn't even know that they were going to survive. And that leads into actually one of my mom's favorite verses. And this was her mentality while going through chemo, going through all of these treatments. Daniel 3.18, right after 3.17 and 16, 16 right after they say, our God can deliver us, they say this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, they got an opportunity to show King Neb who God is. They didn't show King Neb's weird aunt. They didn't show the city newspaper boy. They showed the king who God is. Their purpose wasn't before the fire, it was in it. Daniel 3, 28 through 30 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see, this story shows us that when we are going through our most desperate times, God is right there next to us. And in the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fire to change a nation, God is using your trials and storms for good too. The next time we feel the urge to wallow in our pains of what we are going through, we can hold fast to the idea that the storm isn't for no reason. And God is right there in the middle of all of it. And that goes into the third question I want to tackle tonight. And this one's pretty dear to me. How do I hold on to joy when life hurts like hell? You see, I believe that the first thing we need to do to tackle this question is to acknowledge that emotions themselves are valid and not in our control. And I'm not saying that that's okay to lash out in emotions. I'm saying that we can't control what we feel. We can definitely control how we react to that feeling. But Jesus felt emotions too. He felt a lot of emotions. They talk about it often in the Bible. Jesus felt grief. John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. You see, the story here is that his friend Lazarus had just died and Jesus was gonna bring Lazarus back from the dead. I'd like to think that Jesus knew it was gonna work. But he still cried when his friend died. It still hurt. 
even moments before he was about to bring him back. Jesus also felt angry. I actually got to just share about this story here in, in our high school ministry. Jesus flipped over some tables. Mark eleven fifteen through 16 says this. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Guys, Jesus was livid. Jesus was also afraid. Luke 22, 42 through 44 is the night before Jesus went on the cross. This is what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus also got tired. Luke, Luke 5, 16 says this. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He needed a break from people. And this one's my favorite story of Jesus' emotions because I feel like I can resonate so deeply with this one. In Mark 4, 38 through 40, it says this. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, this ship was in a storm. Jesus was taking a nap. And he got really tired angry because someone woke him up from his nap. And you know what? I don't blame him. And I want to show you what I mean by we don't control the emotions we feel. What if I told you today was your lucky day and I was going to shut up and stop my sermon and pull out a box of puppies and we were just going to play with puppies the rest of the night? Right? What if right after that I just punched you in the face? You see, we're not just like born come out of the womb and the doctor goes, all right, little Kyle, please check off on this list what things make you happy and what things don't. We don't have control of that. Friends, I want you to hear this. The feelings that you've been told to keep hidden are valid and you should never be condemned for the confusing and irrational chemicals firing off that we call emotions. But we can choose something we can choose joy. Joy isn't an emotion. Joy is a state of mind. And here's what I mean. We can't choose what emotions we feel, but we can choose the state of mind we have because you can still be depressed and feel happiness. And let me make it clear. I'm not saying if you struggle with depression and actual chemical imbalance, I'm not saying if you hold on to pick joy, all of your problems will fix, or this will fix all your problems. That's not what I'm saying. If you need medication or therapy for depression, praise God, we have access to that. But you could be a bitter person and feel excited. And in the same way, just like me on this stage, you can feel joy, or you can be joyful and feel angry at the world that you no longer have your mom on this planet. Because joy is different than emotions. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And then I want to end with this verse as well. It would be kind of crazy for me to not end with a verse in Philippians if I'm closing off the series of Philippians. But Philippians 4.4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Both of these verses I used to think were commands. You better rejoice. 
you better be appreciative of what Jesus did for you. And I think there's a little bit of truth in that. There's a small amount for sure. But now that I've gone through this pain and come out to the other side of it, I look at these verses much differently. You see, these verses are more than just a command. They're a reminder and a permission that we as Christians get to be joyful because we believe that God is bigger than those storms. And because as Christians we get to hold dearly that the pain that we go through in this life is the furthest thing from heaven that we will ever experience. The pain we go through is the furthest thing away from heaven that we'll ever experience. That is the worst thing we will experience in all of eternity. But there's a flip side to that. That means that those people that we love that don't follow Christ, the closest they will ever get to heaven is the slight fleeting moments of satisfaction in this life. Guys, it's imperative that we point out the hope of Jesus to those who don't know him. We're gonna go into a moment of worship here. And I asked the band if we could do two songs for my story tonight. And I want you to spend some time looking into your life and finding that deep pain. For some of you, that might actually be hard to pinpoint. It might be hard for you to identify which thing in your life is really that deep pain. But for others, that may be the thing that you can't stop thinking about day and night every day right now. I want you to take that pain and ask yourself tonight, where does God need to show up for you to truly believe the lyrics tonight? That our God is good. And I also wanna leave you with this challenge. Choose joy tonight. Choose to be reminded of who God is and that he has you, yes, you, on his heart in all of this. Jesus died on the cross in our place and paid the price of sin, not so he could show off his might, not to rub it in our faces that we aren't perfect, but because he so desperately wants you to spend eternity with him. So with that reminder, I challenge you to choose joy tonight and believe that it truly can be well.